Population 7 Billion. The article I've asked you to read today is called Population 7 Billion. It's a somewhat lengthy article on a subject that you should know, a gated person. That is, the future of your planet and what's going to happen if populations keep rising at their current rate. Now, this article was written in 2011 when the world's population was just approaching 7 billion. Today, it's 7.8 billion and rising. But I'm not going to talk too much about the article in today's podcast. You should read it and do the homework. Instead, I'm going to talk about what brought us to the brink of 8 billion people on Earth, and that is reproductive success. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I'd like to give you a crash course in human behavioral ecology. That's the branch of anthropology that focuses on the impact that evolution has had on human culture and behavior. Human behavioral ecologists apply the method of the life sciences, in particular evolutionary ecology, to humans in order to better understand their behavior. In other words, they study humans like you would any other creature and as individual components in an ecosystem. Principal theory behind evolutionary ecology is that behaviors evolved in order to maximize fitness. A gross simplification of evolutionary ecology is that all behaviors have evolved to somehow enhance reproduction, which would be measured theoretically by looking at how many of your genes get into the next generation. Unfortunately, measuring fitness is not as simple as counting surviving offspring. A wolf shares lots of genetic material with other members of its pack. In fact, in most cases, Every wolf is related to every other wolf in the pack at some level. In this kind of pack environment, even if wolf A has no offspring, if they help related wolf B have offspring, then that behavior is consistent with ecological expectations. In fact, this might go a long way to explain why packs work so well together. While every wolf competes with every other wolf in the pack, related wolves are much more likely to work with each other because each has some genetic investment in it in in the other. This is called kin selection. Conceptually, human behavioral ecology looks at humans the exact same way. Kin selection explains why humans socially organize around extended families and lineages. Humans, generally speaking, act in ways that would increase the chances of spreading their genes. Why are you in college? Studies show that college graduates make more money and studies further show that wealthy families have lower mortality rates for their offspring. But surely kids are not here because they want more children. Well, who cares what they want? Did you ask the wolves what they wanted? No, of course not, though I suppose biologists would if they could. No, we only look at the behavior and expect that the ideology works as a tool to that means. The data shows that college kids are acting in a rational fashion that will increase the likelihood of their offspring surviving to the next generation. First of all, people enjoy sex. They seem to enjoy it so much that they will spend much of their time trying to put themselves in a position to have it regularly. They will adjust their clothing, their smell, their look. They will apply tattoos to their body, acquire fancy cars and outfits to represent their vitality and willingness for sex, etc. Now this enjoyment, quote, enjoyment of sex is clearly an evolutionary response. 
your ancestors who enjoyed sex had a greater likelihood of passing their genes on to the next generation. This is not a moral statement, it's a biological one. What you believe about sex is coming from your culture and your experiences, but how you feel about it is coming from evolution. For most people throughout history, having more children was beneficial, whether as a farm workforce or perhaps because mortality was high and they needed lots of children to make sure some survived, etc. That was the environment of our psychological evolution. For the vast majority of this period, there were few resources for limiting pregnancies. Modern contraception has only been widely available for a few hundred years, if that. Today, frankly, contraceptives are very easy to come by, especially in our culture. So now, for the first time in human history, you have the ability to have sex, but not bear any of the consequences of it. Your biology is telling you to be successful, to do things that will make you more secure and happy, and have sex so that you'll have more surviving offspring. You are biologically programmed to do these things, and you are. What this means is that counting offspring is not the way to measure success. Instead, you have to look at a proxy measure. A proxy measure is something that you could measure instead of counting offspring, something that would lead to reproductive success if you were in the environment of our ancestors. Here's a few things that you could measure that would show such success. One, frequency of copulation. Uh, the more often you copulate, the more likely you are to have offspring. Two, the number of sex partners. That one's principally for men, since men can have more than one offspring at a time, uh, then the more sex partners they have, uh, the more offspring they could theoretically have at one time. Three, optimal efficiency at securing food, water, and shelter. The better you are at those things, the more likely it is that you'll be able to raise offspring um, to adulthood. In fact, four, any behavior that all else being equal, would theoretically lead to genes being put into the future gene pool, regardless of whether they were successful. So here's the elephant in the room. Studies show that wealthy populations have fewer offspring than poor populations. Why is that? Here's my attempt at an explanation. It's a great theory, and for the most part, it explains a tremendous amount about human behavior. But just between you and me, it's not that different from Malinowski's functionalism. And social institutions existed to meet biopsychological needs. What he didn't recognize was that people with more of their biopsychological needs met have a higher reproductive fitness than those who don't. Modern human behavioral ecologists are doing precisely what Malinowski did. They're studying proxies of reproductive fitness. And now let's hear some voicemail. Howdy, Dr. Pearl. I found it interesting that on average a woman would have over nine pregnancies with only about four babies surviving the birth and sometimes even letting a newborn die by not breastfeeding it or just not taking care of the baby and letting it go to heaven. But my question is, why would they have so many pregnancies and babies if they were just going to kill them? 
Now, I'm sure the common answer to that is that they didn't have birth control at the time. But is there another answer to that question? That's a very good question. First, let me clarify that I don't know that this that the women thought they would kill their babies. I think the point is that they believed God was taking their children uh, in order to reduce their suffering. It was a belief that rationalized neglect. Now, from an ecological viewpoint, the women are employing a strategy of maximum population increase, uh, having as many surviving children as possible. However, because of their impoverished conditions, that strategy requires neglecting some infants so that their siblings will survive. Now, a belief has arisen that rationalizes or normalizes the behavior of neglect. Rather than feel guilty about their rational choice, uh, they move the blame to a third party, God in this case. God was taking these children back to heaven. One of my favorite self-quotes uh, is, People can believe anything, so they tend to believe in things that benefit themselves, whether it's financially, emotionally, or for some other self-centered reason. People do this continuously and subconsciously. This is why Democrats and Republicans can look at the same facts and come to different conclusions. If you look at the world and see villains, you can bet that they don't see themselves the same way. It's why the anthropologist, in order to get their work done, must be open-minded and not judgmental of others' behavior. Otherwise, they'll ne have, never have a hope of understanding it. Back to the women. Now that we've established that their behavior is to maximize uh, surviving offspring, well, you have the sort of default human condition. From an ecological standpoint, everyone should be trying to mac maximize their surviving offspring. It's explaining the people that don't that is a harder proposition. All right, now for some listener email. Uh, Hope Davis writes, Hello, Dr. Pearl. I hope you are doing well and washing your hands. I wanted to touch base with you about the podcast participation. I see that there isn't anywhere to type up a comment, so are you wanting us to record ourselves speaking into the computer to participate in the podcast? Thank you, and I hope to hear from you soon. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, uh, yes, I am washing my hands, but I have a question about that. If I'm staying at home and there's no virus in my home, do I still have to wash my hands? Anyway, um, yes, there are no comments allowed on the um on the website for the uh, podcast uh, hosted by anchor.fm. So in order to participate, you'll need to send me an email like you did. I appreciate that. Or you can use the link uh, provided on eCampus or on anchor.fm uh, backslash fred-pearl, which is the home page for the podcast. There's a link there that will let you leave a voicemail also. Uh, if you leave a voicemail, uh, like Peyton did, I can include you directly in the show, and that would be great. So, um, have at it. That's it for today. Please pay attention to the due dates on eCampus. Uh, this week they're extra long, but starting next week, you'll only have two days per homework. You have an online test this Monday. 
You'll have from 8 a.m. to midnight to complete it. Just don't forget to do it. See you next time.